0: very warm welcome to you it's monday here at a reason for hope we hope you had a great weekend it's a beautiful day here in tucson arizona and we're glad that you're joining us for a reason for hope the reason for hope is an hour-long live broadcast dedicated to your questions on god's word the bible that's right if you have questions on the bible or christian living maybe world events from a biblical perspective maybe your life events from a biblical perspective really any question you have as long as you know that the answers we will endeavor to find in God's Word, the Bible, that's what we're all about. And we are live here for the next next hour, guided by your questions. My name is Dave Robson. I will be your host and field in those questions as they come in on the multiple uh, platforms. And with me today is Pastor Sean Richards. What's going on with you today?
1: Discovered why you don't see many major comedians come out of Hawaii. Why is that? They only go aloha. <laughs> oh,
2: oh. <laughs> But um, we need to have like uh, a, a little uh, sound soundbite uh, with the snare. With a, I could probably I think, do that. I'll yeah. work on that for next time.
0: <laughs> Trust me, folks, it gets better. Stick with us. <laughs> also with us, Scott Richards, who's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. How are you doing? I'm
2: doing fantastic. It's a very exciting time to be a believer. And uh, lots of uh, great ministry going on and uh, looking forward to seeing how the Lord's going to leading and guy and directing the broadcast.
0: Today. Absolutely. No car trouble today? I know you uh, had Not not a you bit. You got rear-ended one week, you had a blowout the next week. It seems like your same you're, week. Your car is the same week. Wow.
2: I, <laughs> right. I, I don't know my, my prospects for getting home after this broadcast. <laughs> yeah. Might I'll give be you, a little dicey. I'll give you a ride. <laughs> yeah. Inter- I'll follow you home inter- and yeah. inter- intercede with much which <laughs> prayer and supplication. That's right. So. That sounds yeah. that sounds good.
0: Well there's there's multiple ways you can join us. Obviously if you're seeing us and hearing us, congratulations. You've you've found a way. Uh, but there are multiple ways you can join us. If you're listening to us on the radio, on Reach Radio, uh, you are listening to our last show pre recorded. But please do send us your questions at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. And we will endeavor to get your question on the next show. But on our other platforms, we are live as can be. We are uh, a Calvary Christian Fellowship.com. A Reason for Hope is a ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship. So if you go to what follow the Watch Live tab, you'll find us live there, and there's a chat function. On Facebook as well at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, there's a chat function there as well. You can watch and follow along and send us your questions. On YouTube, the channel is called A Reason for Hope, so look for A Reason for Hope on YouTube. Same deal there. Watch and send the questions there. We have an app as well for our church that so you can watch us live, not only A Reason for Hope but our services. So go to your app store, search for Calvary Christian Fellowship, you'll find an app that you can download on your mobile device or also on Roku and Apple TV should you want to watch us on the big screen and why wouldn't you want to just blow us up in high def? <laughs> <on> the, <laughs> I can give you multiple reasons why you might not want to. But, uh, but again, send your questions in on those chat uh, platforms because I will be fielding those live as they come on in, and, and this show is guided by your questions. You can follow Pastor Scott on Twitter at Scott R 4 h That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H on Twitter for some snarky snippets
2: and, and prophetically significant uh, updates and maybe a word of encouragement or two in your walk with God. Very when it's all good. said and done. So on Twitter, an email address is
0: a way you can keep in touch with us uh, 24-7 as we go along. But do consider joining us live on one of those platforms to send us your questions. And we are, as Pastor Scott said, very excited to see where the show will go today. We never know because it's guided by your questions, so do send them in. Well, all that being said, Sean, would you like to pray for us as we delve in today? Love
1: to. Dad, thank you for the chance to be in your word, in your spirit, and among your people. We ask that all would be blessed and edified through the work you're doing here. Allow the questions to come in from the hearts of your people and to ultimately receive answers that are not only guided by your Spirit as well, but able to settle and inform the hearts of those who are listening. Thank you for the opportunity we have to steward those things and to practice these spiritual gifts, we pray it would all be done in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. 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 Well, Pastor Scott, you often have a a little update for us on what's going on.
2: Yeah, well, a couple of updates. Uh, We talked quite a bit last week about uh, the election in Israel and the aftermath of that Uh, fascinating uh, series of events, especially... Uh, with some, uh, well, possibly prophetic uh, overtones to them. Mm. Uh, As we mentioned, it's been confirmed that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is going to be the next prime minister of Israel. Talk about the comeback kid. Uh, His political career uh, reminds me of the famous uh, Mark Twain uh, quote, uh, the uh, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated uh, because uh, he's been written off and said, oh, you know, he can't come back from this. He's politically, uh, you know, a casualty at this point. But uh, once again, he's going to be able to form a government uh, with a pretty significant uh, buffer zone, if you will, of uh, representatives in the, the uh, Israeli Knesset. Uh, the, the interesting thing, though, is that this, this new government is expected to be Uh, by analysts, one of the most religious in Israel's history. Uh, The Likud party, which tends to be conservative, although not um, uh, in your face religious in its uh, orientation, but conservative in its principles, has joined together with two ultra-Orthodox parties and the religious Zionism state. Uh, Again, the religious Zionism slate uh, won 14 seats. Now, Uh, members of religious Zionism and their followers. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. have been calling for more access for non-Muslims to the Temple Mount compound. Now, the reason that that is an issue is because in 1967, uh, Israel worked out a deal with Jordan uh, that is called the Status Quo Agreement to this day. What that states is that although Israel— controls the territory uh, politically, uh, the uh, Jordanians will, uh, were given the right to administrate the Temple Mount site spiritually. And they have a group called the Waqf, W-A-Q-F, I guess it's how it's uh, spelled, that uh, really uh, runs a very tight reign, uh, especially on who can pray on the Temple Mount. Sean and I have shared some stories about our encounters with the Waqf and our uh, trips to Israel, and they're mm. definitely not <laughs> really pleasant people, not really very friendly uh, towards uh, Americans per se. But boy, if you are Jewish and go up on the Temple Mount, uh, you are definitely in for a pretty wild and woolly ride. Mm. Uh, the idea of praying on the Temple Mount, Uh, is considered absolutely forbidden by the waqfah individuals. According to the status quo agreement, Jews cannot openly pray on the Temple Mount. Well, you know, in a nation uh, in Israel where freedom of worship is protected in their constitution, some Jews argue that despite the presence of the Muslim shrines that are there, they should be able to pray at what they consider to be the holiest shrine in all of Judaism. Now many do go up on the Temple Mount and pray when mm-hmm. we went up on the Temple Mount. I certainly prayed, uh, didn't you know lift my hands or you know uh, fold them in the traditional avenues of prayer. but you know Lord knew I prayed when I was up there. Uh, but uh, some even make it a point to go up and do some things that are, well, uh, fairly provocative, if you will, Uh, There was a group that tried, for instance, uh, on the last day of atonement, to bring a goat up Mm. on the Temple Mount and sacrifice it. Uh, Mm. So they were cut off at the pass by the Israeli police, who are the ones that actually provide the muscle, the security behind the Temple Mount. The Mm. wakpo run around with sticks and things like that and Mm. hit you if they think you're out of line. But if someone tries to do something like that, which uh, could really uh, been a a huge problem, Uh, the Israeli police step in and uh, escort the people uh, off. Well, very interesting. Uh, One of the individuals that is, uh, well, a a very heavy hitter in the religious Zionism ticket, which is an absolute essential for a Netanyahu government to be formed. He can't do it without them is a fellow by the name of Itamar Ben-Giver. Uh, Itamar Ben-Giver is a individual who has made some uh, very interesting statements regarding uh, the status of the Temple Mount. In fact, he has openly said that the status quo agreement that has been in place since 1967 between Jordan and Israel regarding the Temple Mount uh, should be amended and uh, some of the statements that he made uh, were, were this. Uh, in an interview with the Times of Israel, he said that racism on the Temple Mount is what is really violating the status quo. Quote, he said this, a Jew who prays on the Temple Mount gets arrested. Why are Arabs allowed to pray and Jews are forbidden to pray? This is racism against Jews. I want equal rights It can't be that the rights of Jews are harmed just because they are Jews. Well, uh, the amount of traffic (laughs) that goes on uh, on the Temple Mount. Now, I guess over 6,000 Jewish visitors over the Jewish holidays uh, this fall visited the Temple Mount. And another Knesset member uh, from the Religious Zionism Party, Simcha Rothman, went so far as to go to the Muslim cemetery that is adjacent to the Temple Mount. Now, you know, Sean... That cemetery was placed there adjacent to the Temple Mount for a pretty significant spiritual reason, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. As far as uh, prophecy is concerned, the expectation of the Messiah's return is also given to us in Ezekiel. When the spirit of the Lord departed from the temple, it went to the east, and that is why the eastern gate is sealed. They expect that to be where the Messiah. Now enter. the Muslims sealed it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That is.
2: Yeah. They 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 bricked it in. Yeah, but, thinking that this was going to prevent Messiah from coming through it.
1: Which is hilarious in the futility of it. But, but the, they, they want an extra step, right? Yeah, and of course, uh, when we look at any archaeological or historical evidence for Israel having existed a long time, even according to their Muslim sources, in the land known as Israel today, um, they make the point of emphasis to either destroy or to even, as superficially as possible, scratch out the Jewish names on these tombs and the uncoverings of these things we remember on our first trip to israel a report right. of a uh, archaeologist that was basically uh, hollowing out this tomb and he was looking at the artifacts inside the muslims sealed him in and tried to suffocate him to death so when we're talking about a eye for history it's not just in their own religion you can look up all the uh, funny things that they found verifying the existence of Muhammad and the House of Khadijah in Mecca today. Nothing, but also noting the revisionism they're committing against the Jewish people that interferes with their what's handed to them by their leaders—the narrative, as it said, or the standard Islamic narrative, the SIN, if you will.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, one of the reasons that they put this cemetery outside the eastern gate. Uh, was the uh, notion that uh, no Jew could go into the temple area if they'd come in contact with a dead body or a grave. Mm -hmm. And and so they set this up as a barrier uh, to put in place. Well, uh, a member of uh, uh, Ithamar Ben-Giver's party uh, (laughs) decided to do something about that. He went and blew a shofar horn At the Muslim cemetery adjacent to the Muslim, uh, the uh, Temple Mount. Uh, So, you know, moves like these are viewed by Palestinians as provocative. Uh, They've been used as an excuse for those who are in uh, the uh, Al Aqsa Mosque uh, and the uh, Dome of the Rock uh, to uh, go to the edge of the Temple Mount and throw objects and things down on the Jews who are praying at the Western Wall. Well, uh, once these election results became clear and uh, this uh, right-wing bloc uh, absolutely dependent upon these uh, religious parties to uh, hold a coalition together, uh, it, it, some very interesting things are in the brewing. Uh, you know, uh, again, Uh, a leading member of Israel's outgoing coalition, a a member of the Ram Party, which is a Muslim party, by the way, Mansour Abbas, has expressed fear that the new government is going to allow Jewish prayer in the Temple Mount, a move that he said will lead to war. Uh, When you're talking about the most sensitive subject, which is the holy sites, people's minds uh, stop working and religious feelings take over, he said on Israeli television we've seen how many rounds of escalation were sparked by provocations at the Al-Aqsa mosque. Well, the interesting thing is our uh, this individual, Ithamar Ben-Giver is uh, essentially, you know, the the, the hard rumors are this that he gave his support to a Netanyahu government in exchange for being given uh, the cabinet position that would allow him to manage Israeli security. He would be in charge of Jewish security, including all of the policies that would pertain to the Temple Mount. So, this could be fun. Yeah. So, uh, very interesting to see how uh, the, the horse trading goes on. The actual title is the public security minister. Uh, and uh, it does appear. Uh, that Ithamar Ben-Giver uh, would be uh, most uh, adamant about wanting to change the policies on the Temple Mount. Now, the reason we bring this up to you is as our good friend Don Stewart uh, would remind us uh, constantly, when it comes to biblical prophecy and the signs of the times, Israel is like God's hour hand. We should always be looking at Israel for what's going on as far as the heavenly heads up uh, regarding our proximity to the return of Jesus. Uh, Jerusalem is the minute hand what goes on in Jerusalem is incredibly prophetic significant but the second hand is what pertains to the Temple Mount Uh, for the first time since 1967 it does appear that politically uh, there may very well be a sea change in terms of how the status quo agreement is carried out uh, and uh, the implications involved with that not just with Jordan uh, the Jordanians uh, would not uh, take kindly to this at all, but also the rest of the Muslim states. Uh, you know How would they react to this? And how would they react to this, particularly the Sunni Muslim states like Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and others, who have to balance all of this out, not wanting to pick a fight with Israel, since Israel is probably one of the most important uh, linchpins as far as their defense against their greatest enemy, and that is the Iranians uh, wanting to dominate the region. So <laughs> you've got a lot of people that are going to be sweating bullets in Israel over all of this, and we mm. will certainly uh, keep you all up to date as far as Ithamar Ben-Giver. Uh, the, the, my two cents worth is this uh, Benjamin Netanyahu didn't get where he is today by being a political novice. He is Mm -hmm. not usually a guy that ends up being put in a corner. Uh, He is uh, a horse trader par excellence as far as politics are concerned. So it will be very interesting to see, uh, first of all, uh, what kind of concessions are made along this line, whether this becomes a huge political issue in Israel, how uh, the Israeli people are going to react to all this. By the way, um, the idea of supporting this uh, particular bloc Uh, some 60% of of Israel identify themselves as being uh, religiously conservative as far as their political leanings are concerned. So uh, how this all shakes out is going to be very, very interesting indeed. And speaking of things shaking out, uh, if you're watching us live, you know that uh, tomorrow, and if you're listening to us on Reach Radio, it's today, uh, is the election in the United States. And uh, you know, people have asked Uh, you know, what a biblical perspective is on these midterms election, how uh, should our faith in Christ inform our particular votes. I I just really want to make it as simple for you as possible. If you're uh, looking at voting, and uh, first of all, if you're a born-again Christian, you need to vote. Uh, There is uh, no excuse for us to say, oh, I'm too busy. You know, God has put us in a place where we have a voice in the affairs of our government. We have the franchise of voting in this uh, representative uh, form of a Republican government, not the Republican Party, but we are a republic. We are not a democracy. We see this uh, term thrown around quite a bit. Uh, We are a Republican form of government. It's a representative form of government. And we, as believers in Christ, uh, need to first understand that we are called to be good citizens, in uh, whatever place we are, Uh, even going back to uh, the instructions that God gave uh, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 about the individuals that were being sent into exile. They're saying, well, what should we do? Uh, Are we going to be coming back soon? Jeremiah said, no, you're going to be there for 70 years. You know, you need to put down roots. You need to be a credit to whatever town or city in Babylon you have been uh, exiled to. Same thing is true for us. We need to be a credit to sound governance, uh, especially uh, in our our state and our local elections, our our national elections, and so on. And, uh, you know, we read uh, Romans chapter 13. We are told that we are to uh, be individuals that uh, essentially honor those whom God has put in authority over us. But we have a say in that. And one of the most important issues. That I will say should inform your vote. I don't endorse individual candidates for a couple reasons. You know, first of all, uh, you know, when you endorse a candidate uh, to the exclusion uh, of another, uh, sometimes it will cut you off from being able to share the gospel with people who might support the other side. We certainly don't want to do that. But the other thing that I would say is this: sometimes you can support a candidate because they say all of the right things. Uh, spiritually that we want to hear as Christians, and after they get elected, it's like they completely ignore it. Mm. Uh, So, you know, let's not die on that hill, uh, so to speak. Let's not let that compromise our ability to share the gospel. But having given that massive (laughs) disclaimer here, here's the bottom line. The Bible is absolutely clear on the subject of abortion that it is an abomination in the eyes of god it is uh something that is in the final analysis no different uh than the uh, sacrifice of children to idols like Moloch and baal that took place in israel uh when we take a look at what the bible has to say about uh when life begins i you know if you want to explore this more in depth you can obviously send it follow send us follow-up questions we'll be happy to entertain them but uh, to me psalm 139 I don't think uh, you can get away from the fact that King David in Psalm 139 made it very, very explicit that his life and his relationship with God began before uh, he came into the world. Uh, you know we are told that God uh, by David, that God knit him together in his mother's womb, that he saw all the days that were ordained for the, for him when there was not yet one of them, that God saw his unformed substance. Uh, That is uh, from the get-go, from the moment of conception onward, God saw King David as King David. And, uh, you know, we have emphasized that point scripturally. We've supported it scientifically. There's no way that you can look at a fertilized egg and say that, first of all, it's an inanimate object. It is a living thing. You can't look at it and say genetically that it is anything else than a human being. Even logically, uh, you have to wrestle with this issue when did your life begin my life began at conception it's been going on ever since the only difference between you and me and a fertilized egg is time and nurture that's it Mm. uh and so when there are candidates out there that support a policy that supports abortion on demand for any reason and well over 90 percent i'm being very conservative here these are the alan gutmacher institute uh, statistics, which is the polling arm of Planned Parenthood, for goodness sake. Well over 90%, more like 95 to 96% of all abortions that are performed in the United States are elective. It does not pertain to cases of rape or incest. Mm. It does not pertain to the life of the mother being in danger. It is strictly elective. Mm. And millions, literally, of children have been slaughtered mm. for personal convenience. That's essentially what it comes down to. So my only two cents worth to you, if you're listening out there, is this. And you're thinking about uh, going out and voting. If you're a believer, please go out and vote. You need to go out and vote. Uh, You need to exercise that franchise. And this, more than anything else, should guide your decisions as far as the election is concerned. Ask yourself the question, is the candidate I'm thinking about voting for in favor of abortion up to the ninth month? because one political party in this country supports abortion on demand even up to the ninth month of pregnancy Mm. Uh, and someday we're going to give an account before God uh, regarding uh, how we used our franchise to vote and uh, what we, uh, we did with this and I would not want to stand before the Lord someday and have to explain to him why I voted in support of a candidate that uh, essentially believes in this kind of barbaric practice. Uh, you know, it would be like uh, giving the two thumbs up when Solomon decided to build a, uh, an altar to Moloch in the Valley of Hinnom. Um, can't do it as a believer in Christ. So do your homework, find out where they stand on this particular issue, and don't fall for the dodge of saying, well, I'm personally opposed, but I support this uh, particular right, even up to the ninth month of pregnancy. No. You you just can't do that. So uh, that exhortation uh, is as close to political as I'm ever going to get. But again, uh, you know, like I say, pol- political parties tend to use and abuse believers in Christ down through time. Use all the buzzwords, say all the right things. But uh, if you can narrow down uh, and uh, even call the candidates' uh, political office, go on their website and find out where they stand on this particular issue then I think you'll be exercising your franchise to vote in a way that honors God. And whatever your hand finds to do, the Scripture says, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Don't do it just because you belong to a particular political tribe, Mm. but because you've done your spiritual homework. Anything you'd add to that? No, just make sure that when we are thinking
1: through these issues, it's not determined based on sloganeering, but the other end of what Peter and I have been talking about the last couple months in terms of rhetoric when people are presenting information to you, that you know how to recognize not only manipulative tactics, but also how to properly respond when outright false things are taking place. Uh, we got f- about six questions, three of which are follow-ups on this very topic, so let's not waste time.
2: Yeah, let's jump back on in. Yeah. Get those questions.
1: Thank you
0: for that. Thank you yeah. for the, the update. Yeah. Um, we have a question from from Cody coming on our email address right before the show at hope at gmail.com. And a reminder, send your questions in on the chat boxes or the the platforms you're joining us on we are receiving those questions as we are live Uh, Cody asked could you please help me to know how to make decisions that aren't specifically outlined in the Bible and how to know what is the most loving towards others rather than what is best for me he says that not all situations are in the Bible and I want to walk in love like Jesus did I recently made a choice where I had an opportunity to share Jesus but instead I chose to go along to get along my friend who is a Christian tried to lovingly share how I could do things differently next time, but instead I got defensive and shut, uh, shut down. So thank you, Cody, for your
1: question and your honesty. <laughs> Yeah, two things to keep in mind on both issues. Uh, First, we recommend the Proverbs challenge. Just go through one of the most practical sections of the Word of God. Uh, Chapter 10 obviously has the most concise sections, but the entire book is important if you know how to handle ancient Hebrew poetry. Understand that cult groups love to spin, fold, and mutilate these things, but it is, in fact, very much easy to understand at face value if you don't let people set the agenda and narrative for these passages. When you're asking what I ought to do, it's obviously going to be, I guess, uh, spearheaded with two goals in mind, does this closer to God and does this accurately portray his character to other people. When people say, I don't want to be self-interested, that is, although well-intended in most cases, kind of a misnomer, because nothing we do in this life isn't also, if not exclusively, for our benefit, and the Bible doesn't necessarily condemn us for that. In the book of Proverbs chapter 9, we were just going over this in our junior high and high school classes, that if you're wise, you are wise for yourself. You are the first and foremost one who benefits in living a way that honors God. He's honored by the process, don't get me wrong, but if I say I have to do this to my detriment, That would be something the Bible calls foolish. We should make decisions that benefit the most possible people, and wisdom, including yourself in that mix, is an assumption. The second thing that we need to keep in mind is that when I'm asking, you know, the spearhead of my decisions, the goal, it's the same thing in evangelism. Am I sharing the gospel with this person to just mark off my obligations to people? You said you had an opportunity every day. is an opportunity, but when people come alongside you, and we've all been in that situation before, where someone uh, decides to play, I guess, Monday morning evangelist and say, no, if you were going to share your faith, this is how you should have done it, they would have been the one to do it. It's just basically coping for their own cowardice. But when we ask ourselves the question, is this good or is this wise, it's not always the same answer. Is it good to share the gospel? Yes. Is it wise to cast your pearls before swine? Understand the point. If you don't know someone and you have an opportunity to share the gospel, but you don't know how to relate it to them personally, you can be patient and wait for the Spirit. You can just be a decent person. You can see if they will ask you questions, but we can't get caught in the mindset of saying, I didn't share the gospel with everyone and everything that crossed my path today, therefore I'm a sinner. We should take opportunities not only as they appear, but how they appear. And sometimes the best way to be a witness of Jesus is just being caught acting like him. Most people don't end up uh, sealing the deal as far as salvation is concerned, but we do, as uh, Greg Kokel uh, oftentimes illustrates it as, get the chance to put stones in people's shoes. If people have this assumption working in their minds that those Christians, they're just a bunch of right-wing extremists trying to take away our rights and impose their religion on us without thinking through the three absurdities that that sloganeering implies, being an exception to the rule is something that God can use. And if you had the chance to do that, to not go along to get along, we'll talk about that in a second, but to just be like Jesus in whatever situation you were. Knowing when, where, and this is key, how to share the gospel are steps of wisdom. Yes, there is a good thing to do and a bad thing to do, but there is also a good way to go about something and a wrong way to go about a good thing. What would be some examples of that and continuing on with the point?
2: Well, you know, as far as being able to have like a compass heading, uh, making tough moral decisions, there's Mm -hmm. a couple of passages that have really been helpful to me. Uh, You know, first of all, our decisions in life begin with our mindset in life. Uh, We have to renew ourselves on God's Word. Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may approve what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, the more I allow God's Word to dwell in my mind richly, uh, the, the better off I'm going to be. I'm going to be able to kind of have that discern-a-meter, if you will, working, where I go, okay, uh, you know, I'm not sure I see, you know, a, a hardcore scriptural issue, but there's something about this that uh, I really think that this is what the Lord would want me to do. Uh, you know, a, a biblically informed individual Uh, has a a real advantage over that sort of thing. You know, we're not going on feelings. We're going on biblical principles. And, you know, granted, uh, you know, you can search your concordance and try to find uh, the Internet somewhere in your Bible. It's not there. Mm -hmm. But there's obviously principles in the Bible that can govern, say, decisions we make as far as the the kind of content we we watch online or through other media platforms and so on. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's obviously principles that will guard and guide us in terms of financial decisions we're going to make. There are principles that we find in the Scripture that will give us guidance as far as relational decisions that that we need to make. Uh, And, you know, when we renew our mind on the Scripture, we get that kind of a mindset that can keep us out of a peck of trouble. Let me just give you a couple that uh, can help you out that have certainly been helpful to me. You know, first of all, Philippians chapter 4. You know, we talked about renewing your mind. Okay, how do we renew our mind? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, there's eight different uh, things that the Apostle Paul says we should be meditating on in all this. And people, oh, you know, I just don't know if I can remember all the true, noble, just, you know. Here's the bottom line. This is the character of Jesus described in this particular passage. So, you know, the old saw about what would Jesus do? It begins with what would Jesus think? Jesus was always quoting the scripture. He was always rooted in the scripture. He was always focused in on what his father's will was. And and so, uh, you know, we take a look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. We get a really good grid, if you will, uh, to put up in our mind. I know... Some people are like, oh, Bible memory, I'm just not sure, I, this is my gift, or something like that. Hey, you can memorize Scripture, believe me. It's really possible to do that, and it is such a value, such an important thing for us to have under our belt spiritually. So, you know, commit to memory, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, and let those sort of things renew your mind. If you can't remember all eight, focus in on the person and character of Jesus on a regular basis. Uh, within your life, uh, in in the book of James, chapter four, there's another really important uh, set of principles that I think that can cause us to be able to uh, renew our mind. It, you know, it's speaking about uh, the wisdom from God, I should say, James chapter three, uh, and and I love uh, what it says here. Uh, it says in verse thirteen, "Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom." But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Where there is self-seeking, where where, uh, there is envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every other evil thing are there. So here's James giving us some things and saying, okay, here's what you don't need to be thinking about. Thinking about other people's lives, and other people's relationship with God uh, and not your own to the exclusion of your own and and I say that in terms of judging other people and and things like this well why does God bless this person and I'm not blessed over here well that's envy uh, you know well what's in it for me you know uh, you know I, I I need to have my needs met that's self-seeking that's not the wisdom from God but in, in contrast you, you go down that that uh, that path confusion and every evil thing are there So if you're feeling confused, maybe it's because worldly wisdom is kind of creeping into your mindset, but I love what follows up on this. But the wisdom that is from above is first of all, pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I love that because, you know, James, you know, as as we've mentioned here, Sean, is uh, called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And, and it really does give us the the wherewithal to be able to, uh, to navigate in these things. And so, you know, there are times where I'll be drawn a blank in terms of decisions I have to make regarding the church, or regarding our family, regarding finances, all these different things. And, and it's really been helpful for me just to sit down and say, okay, what does it mean to pursue purity in this situation? Not compromise with the world, not things that might, uh, you know, titillate my flesh. What does it mean to be pure in this situation? What does it mean to be peaceable in this situation? Not creating conflict unnecessarily. Mm. Uh, What does it mean to be gentle? The the word there can literally be translated meek. It literally means strength under control. Mm. Okay, what does it mean for me to practice self-control in these things? Willing to yield. You know, I don't have to uh, win every argument. I don't have to have things go my way every time. Maybe, just maybe somebody else has a better idea or or a better handle on God's will there. If we're all agreeing that what we want is God's will and all this, not my will, then, you know, then we can be willing to yield uh, according to this, full of mercy and good fruits. Uh, you know, what's the merciful thing to do in this set of circumstances? What, is, what does it mean? to produce good fruits like the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Uh, and, and, you know, and I love this because if we're without partiality and without hypocrisy, you know, we're not uh, playing games, if you will, with with people, you know, we're not, uh, we're not just acting out a role, but uh, really walking in sincerity. You know, I think if you just keep these things front and center, and that's great. Now, here's where you start. If you go, oh, this is too much for me, remember, write it down on a three by five card or a small piece of paper and keep it in your wallet. Mm. And the next time you feel clueless, go into your wallet and read that, pray about it and say, okay, Lord, what does it mean for me to walk in harmony with your wisdom? Mm. And the more you do that, believe it or not, the more these character qualities are going to start gaining traction in your brain. Mm. They're going to be at the front of your mind. And uh, boy, I'll tell you—you know—we can uh, save ourselves a peck of trouble just by learning to walk in God's ways mm-hmm. along this line. You know, anything you'd add to that?
1: I started. Let's—we uh, got eight questions now. Yeah, <laughs> okay. great, Cody. Thank
2: you for that. Qu-
0: great question. That was great. That really helped me out too. Thank you for that. Wonderful question. I have a question from Johanna. Uh, Was the angel of death used just for that particular purpose? Was the angel of death a good angel or bad one used for a particular purpose of death of the
1: firstborn? Thanks. That was the Lord himself. Isaiah 45 is very clear that God is the one who has the rightful authority to give and take life. When that judgment fell, it was that I would go throughout the land of Egypt and smite all the firstborn. You can read that in the book of Exodus. It was the Lord, not a demon. So, yeah, I think that that answers it. Sums it up. Wow yeah that might be a record time for, yeah. an, for an answer <laughs> I, I got uh, earlier ones no yeah. yeah
0: yeah cool thank you thank you Johanna for that question and for being part of the broadcast
2: and and the 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 obvious follow-up to that is well then does that make God the author of evil mm-hmm. no, it makes God the righteous judge, especially mm-hmm. when you see what Pharaoh's genocidal uh exodus program one was. he did the right. same yeah. thing to the people
1: of Israel yeah. and note Pharaoh was given 80 years to get his act together with God, having direct exposure and regular interaction with the Jewish people who are not quite about their faith, as you see with the Jewish midwives and their values being affected by
2: the Jew, or the Egyptian midwives and the Jewish people. And, and nine different plagues that built up to all of this. Mm-hmm. Each time, uh, Pharaoh given the opportunity to turn back to God, asking Moses to pray for him, Moses prays, the plague leaves, Pharaoh hardens his heart. After plague number five, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then in plague number seven, Pharaoh's hardening his heart again. So uh, you're not talking about something that uh, doesn't demonstrate the forbearance and patience of God. It also tells us God's nobody's fool.
1: And if you ask, well, why would the actions of one man affect the well-being of the entire nation, including their children? That's the seriousness of political power. Your decisions impact the lives of the entire nation you're in leadership over, which is why Moses started at the top. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Johanna, thank you for that question. I hope that helps you out. A uh,
0: question from Susan Did Moses die in the wilderness? or was he taken by
2: God, or something else? He was buried on a mountain. Yeah, actually, we have chapter and verse on this, so there's there's no doubt about it. Those are the best ones. Uh, In Deuteronomy 34 and verse 5, we're told, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. So Moses did die, he was buried somewhere, In the area of Moab. When we went to uh, visit uh, uh, Petra on our trip to Israel, uh, somewhere around that region, around Mount Nebo, uh, was where Moses was buried. God made sure people didn't know where that was, so they wouldn't end up worshiping Moses' body. And uh, Jude kind of gets into an interesting. Uh, thing about satan and uh, michael the archangel arguing over the body of moses
1: which was a reference to an apocryphal work but nonetheless valid in the point that he was making that god would default to these false pro- or uh, these false prophets need to default to answering directly to god not getting involved with binding the strong man as deliverance ministries would say
2: yeah exactly
1: very good yeah we're moving right along aren't we yeah. another uh, a question right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> another question from from susan um when Lazarus died before Jesus arrived, did he go to heaven, Hades, or where uh, Where before Jesus resurrected him? Do we know?
2: Well, I think we can answer that pretty straightforwardly. In yeah. the book of Luke, chapter 16, we're told what the Old Testament uh, setup was as far as the afterlife is concerned. It's the account of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, some people say, well, isn't that a parable? No, I don't think it's a parable at all for a few reasons. Number one, no other parable Jesus taught uh, had proper names in it. In the account of the rich man and Lazarus, you've got uh, Lazarus being named, you got Abraham being named, Dives, uh, the rich man, if you will. Some would say it's a proper name, like being uh, named Richie Rich, if you will. Uh, so, you know, we, we do see in that particular uh, passage uh, all the hallmarks of being given a look into the afterlife. Well, in that look in the afterlife, There was one place that people went in Old Testament times after death, both the righteous and the unrighteous. It was called Sheol, or the place of the dead. Now, it was a dual compartment situation. One side of it uh, was a place called Hades, where the rich man went, a place of torment. There was a great gulf fixed. And then on the other side, was a place called Paradise, uh, or Abraham's bosom, if you will. Abraham was there, and Lazarus was there in a place of comfort. Different Uh, Lazarus, by the way. Yeah. Uh, So... Uh, It's interesting that Jesus would use that particular name to describe that, whether that's prophetic or not. Uh, We we can't be absolutely sure, but we can be sure of this. If someone who was righteous died in the Old Testament times, they would be there in that place prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus, which opened the doors for people to go directly into the presence of God. Prior to that time, and I know (laughs) we're opening a can of worms here, but prior to that time, because sin's hadn't been fully paid for. They've been covered over by sacrifice or paid for, in a sense, in anticipation. People looked forward in time to what Messiah would do when he would pay the price for their sins. It was only when Jesus said it is finished, after his death, he led captivity captive. We are told in the scripture that as he emptied out that uh, paradise compartment of Sheol, uh, after that, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But where did Lazarus go? Uh, for the four days, he was uh, his body was in the tomb. He was there, in Abraham's bosom.
0: So, yeah, great. Thank yeah. you so much, Susan. Thank you for your, your questions and for being part of the the show today. Question from Morgana. I think I'm saying that right. Great name. Is it possible that Mormons are saved and just believe differently than us, like Catholics or Pentecostalism? Basically, is it possible that a Mormon could just be,
1: you know, a denomination of Christianity? No. If that's the way the assumption and statement is, Mormons phrased. wouldn't even
2: actually honestly believe that, right? All right, and that's the whole. Believe point. that they
1: are, or that then, then then they're, they're a different. They believe factor. that
2: all other, uh, all denomination, In Joseph Smith's famous vision,
1: "Doctors he, and Covenants," chapter one, they're all an abomination to me. They draw near to me with their hearts, but uh, with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Literally, uh, I won't use the word on the radio, but uh, vandalizing it would be a good alternative of the passage in Ezekiel condemning the priesthood during the time of the temple exile. But the point being made is this, when your founder, the authority in which you would be set aside from any other Christian group with Joseph Smith as your prophet, if you call him that, if you call him a spiritual authority in any sense, then you are forsaking the four non-negotiables of what makes or breaks you as a Christian. Joseph Smith considered his book a higher authority for spiritual truth, and it's right. in the Mormon uh, what's their words the uh, the triple no not not the yeah. uh, book format there the fifth. The um, articles and, article and covenant and the articles of faith. Yeah, yeah. the articles of faith is what I was looking for. The fifth one is that the Bible has been translated so corre- uh, insofar as it's translated correctly, and they use the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, History of Joseph Smith, and others to determine that. They reject the deity of Christ. They believe that he is not God, truly God, the God man incarnated as the second member of the Trinity. Joseph Smith has always claimed, been God. Yeah. yeah, Joseph Smith claimed that Jesus was one of uh, Elohim's spirit children, and that he will achieve godhood at a later date after fulfilling Elohim's purposes for this world. He'll become Jehovah. The denial of salvation by grace through faith is directly contradicted in the Book of 2 Nephi 25, where it says, "You are saved by grace through faith after all that you can do." And of course, in the fundamental denials of not only everything that pertains to Christianity, he also taught in his books that the Trinity was three gods and three persons and then sought to debunk it. So not only does he not understand the concept of one man and one woman for one lifetime, he also didn't understand the concept of one God with three persons. Math wasn't a strong suit, neither is theology. If you claim to be a Mormon, you are not saved. If you claim to be a Mormon in name, but affirm the deity of Christ, salvation by grace through faith, the authority of Scripture, and the nature of the Trinity, then you're not a Mormon because you contradict your founder and the Maybe prophet. a
2: poorly taught Mormon. Yeah.
1: But if someone, and this is, again, Dave, in your phrasing, if someone would just say, well, Mormons are just another Christian denomination, hmm. that the organization and all of its claims are in some way cohesive. With fundamental Christian doctrines, no, there is no Mormon that is saved. But if, on the other hand, you call yourself a Mormon but deny everything that Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and the presidents of the church throughout history have taught, then you're not a Mormon. You're a Christian. Right. Not the point.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Quick, I totally agree with with, uh, that point. Um, The only thing I would add to that is it's almost like talking to a Roman Catholic. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, i Went to a heavily uh, Roman Catholic uh, high school, uh, the area I was in, heavily Hispanic and Roman Catholic. And uh, there were a lot of Roman Catholics who'd go to our Bible studies. And when you'd talk to them about what they believed about God and having a relationship with God, um, you know, they're right on, you know. And and then you'd say, but, you know, your your church doesn't really teach that. Oh, well, I'm sure it does. Um, Well, you need to go talk to your priest about that. And, uh, you know, there's so many Roman Catholics uh, that I've run into that really don't understand what, say, the Book of Canon Law says uh, about how to be saved or uh, what the authority of the Bible is or, you know, a lot of things we could bring up, you know, the the nature of the Mass and that it's really salvation by works and, and so on. So, you know, I've just found whether someone presents themselves as a Mormon or as a Roman Catholic, it's really good to get down to cases and say, okay, well, I understand labels and all of that, but, but, but what do you believe mm-hmm. on these, you know, really important issues? Right. And uh, maybe, just maybe you can get them to start to question their affiliation with a group that's not leading them in the right direction. Right. Yeah,
1: I walk into a kingdom hall or a uh, you know one of their uh, temples. I'd probably get kicked out of the ladder, But the point being made is, you going to a church doesn't mean you're of that group. Being a Mormon means something. Being a Christian means something. Being a Roman Catholic means something. If you call yourself something but don't know what it means, that's that's your second problem. The first is knowing what you believe in why. Mm-hmm. But make sure that those things are kept in check. Yeah. yeah. Um. Mac
0: commented that uh. I have met a Mormon, and she wants to share her Mormon book with me, but I'm not sure I'm really interested, though. I know, Sean, you Do I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Ask were, her questions. <laughs> yeah, you were talking the last show about um, looking into, uh, you know, Muslim and their writings and mm-hmm. being very well-versed in that. Is there, is there right a benefit yeah. to us, you know, receiving those books, reading them? Studying
1: them as long as you understand what you're reading and why I don't read the Quran because I want to uh, Submit to Allah as through the dictates of Muhammad bin Abdullah I want to read the Quran because I love Muslims and respect them enough to meet them on their terms I can't know their terms if I don't read their book and Nine times out of ten I have to explain to them what their own terms are because they even they haven't read their own book Yeah, if your friend is going to share with you the Book of Mormon do some research. Uh, CARM, dot org is a fantastic resource in pointing up some of the problem passages, and in full context, by the way, alongside yeah. the teachings and claims of their presidents throughout the years. I highly recommend that you interact with someone, especially if they're taking the initiative. But understand, um, <laughs> I've read the uh, Book of Shadows by Gerald Gardner. I didn't get possessed. I've read the Satanic Bible. I didn't apostatize and become a Satanist. I've read the Book of Mormon. I've read, Doc. well, not all of it, but most of it, most of Sahil Bukhari, and I didn't become a Muslim. Just make sure that when you're doing so, you have a clear goal in mind and that she understands that too. I don't believe this book, but I at least care about you enough to let you explain your beliefs. I just hope that same respect is returned and that we can ask questions as to why.
2: Yeah, and be prepared for, you know, standard operating procedure with Mormons. They'll say, read the Book of Mormon, and if you have a burning in your bosom, then Mm -hmm. you'll know that it's true. Well, first of all, how do you know that burning in the bosom isn't, you know, your aftermath of eating a Taco Bell? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Bible never says... Uh, that we are to base our faith on feelings. Uh, there's no place where Jesus says, well, listen to my my words, and if you have a, a powerful and profound feeling in your heart, then you'll know it's true. Mm. Um, no. Right. The, you know, Again, you search the Scriptures, for in them you believe you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Jesus always supported everything he said through the Scriptures. And so chances are you're going to get that sales pitch, And, uh, you know, with a lot of uh, rooting on and and so on, some people will say, oh, well, I had this experience and so on. In fact, if you get a Mormon missionary kind of in a corner, uh, they will go back and that's their testimony. Well, I have a testimony that uh, the the Book of Mormon is true and that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. They're referring to that burning in the bosom Mm. experience that they had. And uh, if your whole faith is based upon this unverifiable feeling, Well, you can kind of hide behind that if you feel like you're getting put in a corner as far as the facts of your alleged faith are concerned. But nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that that is how you know you're right with God. And a lot of believers, even Bible-based believers, will end up stumbling really badly in their walk with God because they'll say things like, Well, I used to feel a certain way as a Christian, but I don't feel that way anymore. Well, the famous Canadian songwriter Gordon Lightfoot once said, I don't know where we went wrong, but the feeling's gone, and I just can't get it back. Mm -hmm. Well, that's about our romance gone astray. Never in the Bible does it say, test yourselves by a feeling, because our feelings, they're not good, they're not bad, they're just your feelings. They're great servants, but they're poor masters. Mm -hmm. Never in the Scripture does it say we're to base our relationship with God on feelings. Yep. Yeah, and That's- and and be the other thing I would just slide in here to be mm. careful, is this: um, if you're really interested in an interaction on Mormonism, don't do it with a member of the opposite sex. Yeah, because mm. one of their sales pitches is, "Oh, well, come on into our church and we can date." Mm. And if you're not real solid, or you're feeling a little lonely, or you know this person's attractive to you, really cloud your mind in a big time hurry. Mm. Right. So if you're interested in exploring Mormonism. Explore it, but do it with a member of the same yeah, sex. That's a good advancement yeah. Yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, we have about three
0: three minutes, two and a half minutes left. Question from Yari. Um, is everything God's sovereign will or through prayer and supplication? Example, can a person's blessing be blocked? If I don't pray for someone to get married, can I block that person's blessing? And the same with
1: healing, or will the person be healed? Or God take them home, then, man. Yeah, not, yeah. That's uh, prosperity gospel distortion of a passage in First Peter. I believe that you should treat your wives with gentleness, lest your prayers be hindered. That's a summarization, yeah. but it's that idea that based on my behavior, and then they would also shoehorn in, or my perception of it, then I can impact my prayers' efficacy or effect on real life. Um, not the point of the passage there. Again, manipulating Yari when we're talking about the issue of our prayers being hindered before God, God always hears our prayers, but the assumption is, well, if he heard it and heard it with favor, which is what the text says, does that mean that he'll do it? Well, no, the Bible is very clear that God has a purpose and that he's not going to deviate from it. When obviously things go awry in our lives and we try and consolidate ourselves with the say, well, this was just God's will that this happened. That's not true either. We do experience consequences for our actions, and that is ultimately God's purpose. The question isn't, is God's will this healing? Is God's will this blessing? Is God's will this marriage? And I'm praying for it. God's will is spelled out very explicitly to conform you to the image of his son, and that is and that, that is borderline red letters. It is black letters, but you get the point. If that is going to be accomplished through that healing, through that prayer, through those things, it will happen. But if, on the other hand, we'd say, oh, it didn't happen, therefore I didn't pray the right thing, or there's sin in my life and my prayers are being hindered. Not the point of the text or passage. Make sure that it was clarifying. God's going to make sure that you have your uh, marital issues intact
2: before you start calling coming to Him for favors. If that's the case, right? Yeah. Hey, before we wrap up, yeah. I, I want to give a shout out to uh, Edward, who is joining us from Mindanao in the Philippines today. Wow, it's part of Calvary Chapel uh, out there. And uh, we always just consider it such a blessing to not only hear from people in the Philippines, people in Nigeria, Ghana, uh, Uganda, uh, Pakistan. Uh, It's just wonderful to see how this outreach is reaching literally all over the world. Absolutely. And thank you for
0: joining us and and being part of the show with your questions. Join us same time tomorrow, same time, same place. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Pastor Scott. We'll see you then. You've been listening to A Reason
1: for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word